I want to share with you and I want you to turn to Mark's Gospel, chapter 4. And now the Lord be with you, everyone. And we are looking at Mark's Gospel, chapter 4 and verse 26. And Jesus was saying, the kingdom of God is like a man who casts seed upon the soil and goes to bed at night, gets up by day and the seed sprouts up and grows. How? He himself does not know. The soil produces crops by itself. First the blade, then the head, then the mature grain in the head. But when the crop permits, he immediately puts in the sickle because the harvest has come. That is a kind of strange parable that um, Jesus told. Uh, if you, I mean, it's a story about throwing seed into the ground and then going to bed. And <clears throat> that, that's sort of arresting when you come to look at it. But I find that the message that is here is enormous and he begins by saying that the kingdom of god is like and that expression is all through that particular chapter you'll find it all through the gospels the kingdom of god sometimes they say kingdom of heaven um, because that's the jewish idea that they were the name god was too sacred they wouldn't say it and so they substituted heaven and so the kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of God. But I, I don't like the word kingdom. It's a clumsy word. Uh, kingdom, it's got boundaries to it. It's, it's got a customs post. Um, and it's an entity to itself. Whereas the kingdom of God is the entire cosmos. It's all creation. God rules and reigns in all places. And actually, the Greek word translated there as kingdom would be, I believe, better translated, it's closer to the word, as the reign. And so it's the reign of God, which uh, that puts all the emphasis on God, not the boundaries of some kingdom. It's his reign. It's his rule. And, and then, to give us further insight as to what he means, on another occasion, Jesus said, the kingdom of God, the reign of God, is within you. So we are not looking for boundaries. We're not looking for go down this road, turn right, and you'll hit the customs post, and that's the kingdom of God. No, this is totally different. He said the reign of God, where he rules and is known, is within you. It is now within you. Now, what is this reign of God that is within us? And we've talked about it before, but let me underscore it, that the finished work of Jesus was not when they put him in the grave. I know that much religion says that in effect. They stopped talking after that. But... Then Jesus rose from the dead, conquered death, rolled death back as if it had never been. 
and resurrection. But don't stop. It goes on to what is commonly known as the ascension, but other parts of scripture call it the glorification or the exaltation of Jesus when he is declared to be Messiah and indeed Lord of all. And we have Jesus now, not the one in humility in um, Nazareth, not the one who can live beside his neighbors and they don't know who he is, but he is Lord of all. He is Lord and Messiah, exalted. And that is the reign of God. It is in Jesus. And that's the finished work. The finished work of Jesus is that he was exalted and known and revealed to be who he is, the Lord King Messiah. What's that look like on earth? He said that he gave, poured out the Holy Spirit to join us, but not only join into us, but join us together and unite us with him, the body of Christ. And so the kingdom of God is the reign of Jesus through the Holy Spirit inside every one of us and all of us together. This, this is the finished work of Christ. And it, it, it's... It says in Romans 14 that the kingdom of God, the reign of God is righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. And so the righteousness of God, our knowing we stand face to face with God without any thought of sin, we are innocent and restored to our union with him. This is, this is the kingdom of God filled with unspeakable joy, that's how the New Testament calls it, joy unspeakable. It's a joy that leaves you speechless. And the peace of God that passes human comprehension. That is the reign of God and to be found within you. At that, Bible speaks in many ways as the your innermost being. Um, and, and I think you know it better than I can tell it that there is a place, a dimension within you where you and the Holy Spirit, the Father and the Son, join together as one, and he's within you, and you know him. And he said, that's what this parable is all about, okay? Hold that in mind. That's, uh, that's Jesus giving us a, a preview of the parable. He said, the kingdom of heaven. But now, he said, it's like this. That is, and hear this very carefully, this is the M.O. of the kingdom. This is the way in which the reign of God takes place. Hear me. This is, this is so important that Jesus is saying that how does all this work? How does it function? We can say Christ is in you through the Holy Spirit. I can say you fellowship with the Father in the Son through the Spirit. That sounds great, but how does it work? How do you function in today's world as a person united with God through Jesus? How do you do that? Well, he said this parable is the way it works. This is, this is how. And hold that in mind that 
the way you work as a believer and you work as one in conscious union with Christ, the way you relate to your circle of friends and associates, uh, the way you act within a situation, recognizing the reign of God. He said, this is how it works. Okay, that's what this is all about. So what do we have here? We have one or two things. We have a farmer, and he's described as um, the chap who goes to sow. That's number one. We also have land, soil, which to a Jewish person had enormous meaning, and he had feelings about that. And then, of course, he had the seed, And then, which I find the most hilarious thing about the whole parable is, we have his bed. It's a big part of the parable. Having sown the seed, he goes to bed. That's a magnificent part of the parable. And then, finally, we have the harvest. I don't know if I'm going to get to all of this, but first of all, the farmer. Who is the farmer in the parable? And in some other parable, like the parable of the sower, which is the parable just prior to this, uh, the sower is very obviously Jesus. He's sowing the seed. But this is not Jesus. In this parable, the sower is not Jesus. I say that because this poor chap is clueless. He says that, that he sowed the seed, but he had no idea what happened after that. All he knows is that after a time, then shoots come up, and the stalk comes up and you, you have wheat. But it says how it happened, he had no idea. Well, that's not Jesus. Jesus knows exactly how this whole thing works. And so we have to say that this is not Jesus. It is an, a human being. It, it's the sower, in this case, is a human being. And he is very aware that his part in this process is to sow, but he has no idea what happens next. There's the realization in your face here is that whatever we're talking about, this increase of the reign of God in you, this, shall I say, moving out from you to others, the kingdom of God, the reign of God actually working in your situation and circumstance is 100% the work of God. He does this. All we do, and that's not a small all, it's the whole meaning of the parable, but in this all we do, we sow the seed. And just hang on what the seed is. But And it speaks about this in the epistles in 1 Corinthians and um, chapter 3, verse 7, and about the next three verses, he talks about it and says that it is, we. number one, he says, we are God's garden. We we are God's garden. And, And then he says that the seed is sown by human beings into that garden. But then he points out very strongly that it is God who makes it all work. He gives the increase. He gives the harvest. 
He produces the blooms or the fruit. He is the one. And he, therefore, is the main worker. But in that passage, it calls us co-laborers with God. We are co-workers. We are co-creators with God in terms of this reign of God. Now, you've got to get this. You've absolutely got to get this, that I can't do anything without him. But on the other hand, he has chosen, therefore I have no say in that, he chose it and that's it, that he would not increase the seed until we, as co-laborers with him, would be the sowers of that seed into the soil. That, that is amazing, um, at least it is to me, that we have a vital part in the process that is here to the point where God actually calls us co-laborers, that we sit with him and we are a vital part of this happening. And unless we realize that, I, I have to say nothing happens. That's how strong it is. And so the man in this parable is you. Can we get that straight? Um, the man in the parable is you. You are the one who goes to sow the seed. But you sow it into the soil, into the land. And you might think that's pretty obvious, but maybe we've never thought about this before. You take this seed, a seed that is so, it's as light as a feather. You've been around seeds. I, I, I used to uh, do organic gardening when I was back in New York about 200 years ago, and uh, I dealt with seeds. I didn't buy the stuff, you know, ready planted. It was, I, I got the seeds. And some of those seeds, you, uh, you put them in your hand and the wind would blow them away. They're, they're tiny, 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 tiny seeds. Um, it, it would take a whole jolly packet to make anything like that would register on a scale. Tiny little seeds. And, and how are you going to get the fruit out of those seeds? Uh, throw them away. You throw them into the dirt. It is an awful waste, stupid thing to do. You're going to take these seeds that have cost, and some of them cost a, a bit of money, and <clears throat> but then you throw it away into the soil. That's the way it goes. That's not only in creation, but also, said Jesus, it's the way the reign of God works in your heart. Do, do you get this? That which is the way creation works, the way all these trees, all these flowers and grasses, that's how it happened. A seed thrown into the ground. Well, he said, when we move into the very heart of reality, the reign of God inside of you, he said, it's the same thing. You, you put the seed into the soil. I'll hold it. What is the soil in this parable? It's you. I know we just said that the man doing the sowing is you, but now I'm saying you, you is the land. You are God's garden. Remember what he said. 
And therefore, can you get the image that this man is you, but you are sowing your seed into you. You are sowing the seed into your very heart, the beating center of you. You're sowing it there. Uh, Once you put it in the soil, put that minute seed or whatever kind of seed it is, you put it into your heart, your, your center, and that's when everything begins to happen. That's the moment of wonder. And if you've never wondered of what is happening all around you, especially this time of the year, uh, take another look. It is a wonder that nobody can explain. We do it. Everybody does it. Certainly up here in Texas Hill Country, everybody's sowing. It's, it's, but nobody understands. They are part of one of the greatest miracles of creation. You take a seed that, as I say, can slip between your fingers. would take a bunch of them to make a mark on a scale. And you throw it into the earth and you walk away and the wonder begins. And no scientist can tell you how. Or they will give you what happens, but they don't know why. But everything begins to happen. It's God's activity, but it doesn't begin until the seed is put into the soil, into your heart. You might remember that to a Jewish person, the land had tremendous importance because the land was given to them by God. Uh, And you know there were no realtors in Israel. You couldn't sell your land because it was the gift of God. He gave it to you. Given back there in Joshua, everybody, every family in Israel is named their piece of land they get. And it could be passed on to your children, of course, uh, kept in the family. But it was, it was God's inheritance. It was his gift where you are going to demonstrate his goodness. And now he is saying that you are his inheritance. And his greatness and goodness is going to be demonstrated in you, but it will follow a certain course. And that is you take the the, the seed and you put it within you. Now, this is a wonder. Jesus, please hear me. I mean, this isn't an illustration. This This is reality. Jesus stands before us. He stands before you and I. And he stands there in the fullness of his finished work. I suppose Revelation 117 is the best image that we have. That that Jesus stood before the Apostle John and, and he says, I am he that lives. And as I pointed out before, that, that word is much stronger. In, uh, it, it would be, I am livingness. I am the source of life. Not only creation life, but he's entered into death and, and come out of death with a life that cannot die, which we call uh, the, this life of God, 
which is our fellowship with God and his union with us. We are participating in the resurrection life of God. Um, I am livingness. And then the greatest words in the New Testament, I was dead. I've been to the pit of death. And then behold, I am alive for age-long duration. Now, did you get me? He stands before you and says that. Can you you get that? It's not that I'm hearing about it. I'm not reading a history of it. He actually stands before me in the fullness of finished work. And he is telling me that he is to me He's giving himself to me as the fullness of life and this fellowship with God the Father. Um, We we could spend the rest of our our time on that altogether. But let let me take you to Psalm 2 very quickly. Um, Psalm 2 is a, a tremendous psalm because it's a psalm that describes this moment when Jesus has finished the work. Do you remember? Um, It says how Jesus now stands before the Father. And um, the Father declares, you are my son, this day I have begotten you. And if you read in the New Testament more than once, it quotes that and says it was the resurrection. When God the Father took Jesus out of the tomb And Jesus, in that sense, was reborn. He entered into death, and he carried us. He carried our sin and brokenness and the darkness and the lies. And when he rose from the dead, he, because he's become one with us, is reborn to a new life. But of course, you do know you were in him You were one with him, and therefore, when he says to Jesus, you are my son, this day I have birthed you forth out of death, he was saying that at the same moment to you. The father looks at you and says, you are my son, you are my daughter, this day I have birthed you out from death, for the history of Jesus is your history, and you come out of death with Jesus. When were you born again? And everybody expects, you know, July 10th, you know, 1910 or something. Um, No, you were born again. You were born out of death when Jesus rose from the dead. And maybe in July the 10th was the day you discovered that. But it happened in Christ when he rose from the dead. Therefore, Ephesians 1 says that you, it says that, You may know the hope to which you have been called and know the exceeding greatness of his power, which is toward you who believe. Right? That's you who believe. And then it goes on and he says, which is the same. That is, it's in accord with the power that raised Jesus from the dead and set him at the right hand of the Father, far above all principalities and powers. I mean, Do we ever hear that? He said that the power 
that you discovered that day on July 10th what was the very same power that raised Jesus from the dead is released into you. And you, along with him, are now seated with the Father and under your feet, because you're in him and under his feet, is all the powers of darkness and all the brokenness there. And, and it says that that's the way it is. You were reborn. And can I emphasize, you were reborn. We're not moving toward this. It wasn't a half-done job. It is so. To the point where Jesus cried in anticipation of this, it is finished. I know you've heard this before, but I'm, I'm telling you, Jesus stands right before us this day and says so right into our hearts. It is finished. <clears throat> There's nothing to be added. I did it. I carried you through death, out of death, and I carried you to the Father, and here we are, sharing together, seated together, enjoying the same power and life together. It is finished. And when finished is said, it means it's done. And when it's done, it's completed. And you can't add to it a thing. If you add anything to that which is finished, you screw the whole lot up. Isn't that true? It is. It's finished. It's done. And now, then, the, the will of God that, that elusive thing that many of our Christian friends live their life around, the will of God. What's the will of God? The will of God, he said to the Son, and we are in Jesus the Son, he said, Psalm 2, now because it's finished, because there's nothing else to do, ask, ask of me and I will give you the entire cosmos is your inheritance. You, you'd better read Psalm 2, I think. But to get the, he says, this day I've, I've, I've taken you forth out of death. It's a new world, a world of death conquered, sin obliterated, and, and you now living in the fullness of the life of God. And that life of God is the same life, the same power that raised Jesus from the dead, now resident in you. You say, well, I don't feel like that. No, because we're talking of about a dimension that's beyond our, our flesh and beyond. Um, Jesus, even after the resurrection, I know there were things he did that made him totally apart, but apart from, he looked very ordinary, and that was... That was what uh, you know, confused people. So resurrected Jesus, the source of this life we're talking about, yet he could walk beside travelers on the road and chat with them, and they didn't know who he was, just another traveler. Or he could sit down, which is maybe more to the point. He, he sat down in the kitchen of the... <clears throat> Um, disciples in hiding 
And he said, please bring me some supper. And they said he sat and ate before them. That means he joins the supper table. And there's, there's no lights coming out of Jesus. There, there's no halos dancing around his head. He, he's, he's not leaping over buildings in a red cape. He looks so ordinary that he's a traveler. He was, you know, Mary mistook him for the gardener. Do, do, do you understand when we say that the very life of Christ is in you because Christ himself is in you. It doesn't mean that you vibrate in the atmosphere and, and, and just, uh, you know, dancing all over the cosmos. It means that that life, which is infinite love, which is infinite wisdom, finds its residency or his residency in you and it's finished. That religion has never understood that because they might, they just might think of what I've said as maybe possible, but it's always up there, a long way up there. And you've got to do this and do this and do this, and then you'll get there. But there's a long delay because you're so worthless and no good. I don't know how long it's going to take to get you back together. No, not at all. Jesus said it's done, it's finished and immediately went over. And do you remember he breathed into them, which is the same word used in Genesis 2 when God breathed into Adam the breath of life. It's a mouth-to-mouth -mouth resuscitation type, you know, open your mouth and breathe into someone's mouth. That's what Jesus did. He comes to and he breathes into them. They don't have to say a sinner's prayer. They don't have to promise and dedicate themselves and prostrate themselves. They just sat there after supper and Jesus, mouth to mouth, breathed into them the resurrection life that was, he was the source. They were very normal people. You are very, very normal people. And yet Christ himself lives within you. And to you, because you're in Christ, the Father said there's only one thing left and that is ask that's my will ask and i will give you the entire cosmos huh, it's finished now he says ask and i'll do it i wonder how jesus looked when the father said that i mean is there a frown on his face as if this is really going a bit far did he look awkward and embarrassed, unsure of himself? This is a serious question. The father said, ask. You have won by your death and resurrection. You have won the cosmos. You've won the human race. Now within that, ask, and I'll give it to you. And remember, you were in him. And so the father said that to you, you, you ask. And did, did Jesus then say to the father, are you sure? I mean, it is a bit much, dad, you know, you're going a bit far there. Maybe, maybe we should ask in little bits and, um, and then we could ask you every time, are you sure this is your will? Are you sure you were in your right mind when you said, just ask? Is it your will? Is it? I, I can almost, I mean, 
maybe I'm going a bit far, but I can, I can see the father slap his knee and say, son, for goodness sake, didn't you hear me? No, you do not ask if it's my will. Of course it's my will. I just said it. All is done. You are reborn into a newness of life. Now there's only one thing left to do is ask for what is done. Ask for what is finished. And it's yours. That's what it said. You say, well, I can only ask according to his name. Well, what do you think that means? Actually, you should know, well, I say should, you can do what you like, but at the end of our prayers, we don't have to say in the name of Jesus, amen, to tell everyone in the room we're done. Um, in the name of Jesus means what I've just said. To the, the, the Hebrew people, really to today, actually, in, in our culture, a name implicates everything a person is. And everything they've done, their, their name takes on the fullness of who they are. So the name of Jesus means all that he is, <clears throat> all he's done, all that is his. That's the meaning of the name Jesus, in the name of Jesus. When, when you pray, it means you pray because you are united to Jesus. You pray because he is in you and you are in him. You pray because all that he has won is yours. So you don't have to say that. No, that's you, in your knower. You know that. And out of that, you, that's what we're doing. That's who I am. It's my part of the involvement. Um, you say that this is very, it's going too far. Um, well, let's put it this way. If it isn't so, why don't we call it quits? And I'm absolutely serious. There's a whole bunch of people that are, actually millions are leaving the organized church because they've had it. Um, and I, I would say to many of them, jolly good show. I hope, I hope we meet up and um, I can explain to you what the real gospel is. Look, if what I've just said is not so, then on what on earth, why bother to ask? And I am saying, I've had it with what so often goes under the name of a prayer meeting. A meandering, wandering, whining, begging, pleading with God to do what he's already done. Begging to get somewhere up in some unknown future a gift that is already given to us. I've had it. I've had it. I, to, to constantly be told that this, this gospel is really just try and be good, try and be nice, be a nice moral person, a good citizen, and, and, and sort of get as many people to sign the pledge as you possibly can, and you'll go to heaven when you die. I, I've been reading what, uh, many pastors are saying on, on the internet about the present plague, the virus. And, and the best they can do is to say, well, we're going to heaven and in heaven there's no virus. What? Don't we know there's something more than escaping this planet? No, we live here and here and now we are the presence of the reign of God. And it's in us, in this incredible us, 
where Christ is our life, that's where the action is. That's worth dying for. And I'm very serious when I say that. For, for the pablum that is served up in many churches, I'm telling you, I wouldn't die for that, do you? You wouldn't catch me being thrown to the lines for that. It's not worth it, good grief. Um, why the hassle? Why the hassle? All the agony, all the trying, all the begging, all the whining prayer meetings, all the fastings and praying. For what? Have another John. Have, have another try. Maybe God this time. It's not playing the lottery. I tell you what it's like. It's going to the fair on the 4th of July. You throw that ball to try and hit the bullseye, and then everything falls down in your lap if you do. But, of course, you don't hit it 99% of the time. And there's many people's idea of this life. Keep trying, keep trying. Keep throwing the ball. Keep missing. Because I don't know why God does it anyway. If God hears, he might answer. He might. If it's his will. Otherwise, he might not. In fact, he might send the reverse. That's God. Too many people. You, you die for that? Is that, is that what you'd be martyred for? No. No, I'm telling you. That, that makes a, this glorious gospel in, in, into a fantasy. We're, we're, we're a bunch of pathetic, disillusioned persons. No. We are one with Christ who is one with the Father, and we are in the Holy Spirit now, even as you're hearing my words. We don't have this vain, empty hope of a distant God. Um, th th this, is, this is our life. And it's only the beginning. This is where, this is where Jesus said it's finished. This is it. And, and, and finished means a new beginning, a beginning that we've never dreamt of before. So, what is the seed that is planted into us? The seed is the gospel, but of course, not, not that gospel that just is all talking after the funeral director. No, I mean the real good news of what I've just explained. The good news that you have become a new creation, a new kind of human in whom the triune God is perfectly at home. That, that's the new kind of human that you are. And, and that is the good news. And it's a seed. And, and that good news is called abundance of life, which means life that is buoyed up with expansion all around it. it it's, it's life that affects my spirit, my, my fellowship with God at my core being, but it's also life that affects my mind, a mind of light instead of darkness, a mind that is buoyed up with wisdom and insight. It's, it's, it invades my emotions with divine joy and peace that passes all human ideas of peace. Uh, and in my body, the cells of my body, my genes, my DNA, as well as the physical organs of my body, I am a person. You are a person that is in Christ, Christ in you. And, and that's the gospel. That's what gospel means, the goodest news you've ever heard. This is it. And this is gift you can't buy. 
can't deserve, can't earn, can't do something to get there. You is there now because of what Christ is in you and Christ is this, is so. This is, this is the seed. This is the seed that is planted into us. And, and the seed has within it powers of reproduction. And so it's going to multiply itself and multiply itself over and over again. You, you, you realize this is amazing. It's an amazing uh, thing that is, is within creation, but it's the same principle in the new creation. You hold an acorn, your little acorn in your hand. Do you realize you are holding a forest in your hand? Because that acorn is going to reproduce and reproduce, and what it reproduces will reproduce, and what that, and on and on. It's all standing in your hand. You have a gospel that invades your entire life. It, it, it goes out to those, that circle of your friends, goes out into circumstances, situations that you find yourself in. That's the seed. And, and, and it carries with it promises that are more specific, like facets of a diamond. Promises that deal with certain aspects of your life and is all together seed. And this man sows it, which means the seed was available. It's available. He didn't have to go looking for it. Wasn't up ahead sometime. It's available. It was in his hand, handful of seed. And if he ran out of that, he's got it in the barn. It's, it's his, his seed. And, and it's his land. And so he's going to put his seed into his land and see what happens. <laughs> he's going to see whatever that seed is will replicate itself. It will reproduce. That means he lays claim to his land. He's not going to just stand there and say, well, let's see what grows, shall we? Nor does he say, well, if God wants wheat, God will send wheat. No. He took ownership of his land with the seed which he chose to put into it. There's determination here. There's intention. The man took the seed, goes and, and the word is strong, casts it onto the land, takes ownership. And, and that means as he's doing so, he knows the harvest he's going to get. Do you follow me? He didn't just take a handful of seed without any knowledge of what that seed was and just throw it and say, let's see what comes up in the fall. No, he knew exactly. He, he was sowing wheat into the ground. And when you sow the seed of wheat into the ground, you will get exactly the harvest that you plant. You will get wheat. That's the way it works. You, you put the seed into the ground and you will get the harvest that is connected with that seed. You do not plant wheat in a field and get cabbages. The, right. It, it, it's the apple tree produces apples and so on. That's the way it is. And, and, and that's, that's, you know, that's, that's wonderful. This isn't a wish list, you know. 
No, I wish, I wish, I wish. I wish God would do that. I wish God would do this. I wish I could be that, you know. I, I, I met a chap the other day, and he, he thought he was being, I don't know what he was, thought he was being, but he certainly didn't look ashamed. He, he said, in my bucket list, you know, things I want to do before I die, in my bucket list, I'd like to see a miracle. Good grief. And he was, he was a believer. He, he was part of a church. And he said, I, my bucket list. Meaning, I've never seen a miracle. I just thought, just before, I just it's one miracle. Obviously, no one expected, no one anticipated in his little world that God did miracles. And he was saying, in effect, I, I just, it's, if only God just do, do it once, just so I can say I've seen it. No, I guess that's what I'm talking to. What we sow into our heart of the gospel is what is going to happen in our lives. That's what he's saying. And we who are one with this Jesus, he now gives us the fruit of that gospel. He says, you've earned it. You, you've won it, Jesus. Now ask, you, you can have, okay, you so see, you're one with him. And now all that he died and rose again and exalted to receive all, all it's finished. And he said, take it, take it. Uh, what, whatever, I ask, it, it's, it's, it's done. So it's a matter of taking and sow it into your life and it will be so. You're not, you're not sitting saying, oh, God, do something. You're not calling a prayer meeting and yelling at God, oh, we're in the heavens and come down, we need revival. Uh, did no one send you the memo? Jesus rose from the dead, having rent the heavens and joined heaven and earth together in the spirit. What are you doing asking God to start all over again and do what he's done? Whining, howling, yelling, whatever. And so they call it holiness. They call it spiritfulness. The more you whine and roll and let's sit back and like farmers who knew what they're at, select what do I need? What is the harvest of the finished work of Christ? That I who am one with Christ, what is it he wills me to ask? And it shall be done in my life. And, and this chap said, this is what I want. This is it. And, and, and I'm going... And he takes the seed, and in taking the seed, he can already see the harvest. And anything we know, especially of Eastern farmers, but Eastern being Far East, or Middle East rather. Um, but, but I'm sure it's true of a, of a farmer these days. It was true when I, I lived in Ireland among many farmers, that, that the sowing was where the relief that they got the seed in, which means the fall is taken care of. They could see the harvest. They knew what the harvest was going to be, and they were enjoying it even as they put the seed in the ground. There's a sort of recklessness about it. He cast it. This chap is hilarious. He's sowing the seed, and he knows the harvest he's going to get. And that's how he does it. He's carefree there's an abandonment to what he's doing this why do we not 
see this as the way God works. It's the way he's made us. The, the way God works in our lives isn't odd and weird. It, it's, it fits in with who we are. I, I used to travel, and, and I knew very well an artist that in his own field was, was quite famous. And um, he, he taught me a lot about painting, painting pictures. And, and one day he said he was going to give me a picture. And I said, well, what will it be? He said, well... I can see it, and you'll see it soon, which I didn't understand, until he explained that he could never go to the canvas with a blank mind. The canvas was blank, but his mind, in his mind, he could see the painting he was about to produce. And so he could say to me, I've seen it, speaking of himself, and then, and you will soon. That is, the painting already exists in his mind. Now he's going to start painting what he sees. And then I would see it too. That, that's, no one shocked at that. No, no, no one calls that spooky. But of course that's how it works. Ask any sculptor. They don't go to a piece of rock and just start chiseling away and the pickaxe and hope something happens. They've seen it. See, they, they see the sculptor. They see the sculpt that they're going to make. And, and, and they, in a sense, they go to the piece of stone to release out of it what they've already seen. So it works. Good grief. When I write a book, I, I've seen the book before I begin to write. I know it, what, what the chapters will contain. I know, you know, at chapter 20, we turn right. It's, I, I got it. If, if I didn't, the thing would go all over the place. Look, you, you, you announce to the children that on Saturday we're going to grandma's house and they jump up and down. What are they jumping up and down for? Because immediately they see what's going to happen at grandma's place. They know that place. They know the candies they'll get. They know all the illegal things that grandma will let them do. And, and they're, they're already enjoying it. And they'll enjoy it from now until Saturday because they, they're, it's as good as done. They know that. And from your side, you know exactly how to get there. Uh, and, and it's in your head. It's a map in your head. You just know how to get there. And you follow the picture in your head and you arrive at grandma's door and, and, and the kids are fulfilled. That's exactly what they'd seen for the last week. That, you, you don't get weird out of that. That's how it works. So Jesus, in my kingdom, you take the seed that has life in itself, the gospel, and you plant it inside of you and you can start rejoicing that what I have had planted I have already given to you. It is already yours. And so start rejoicing in it. You do recognize I've just quoted two main scriptures right there. Now, I didn't make that up. Here is it. Mark 11 and 1 John 5 says that. Jesus said, whatever you ask for, you've got it. Enjoy it. And Jesus said something that um, I don't know what you do with it. But um, he said, the hour, do you remember he said this to the Samaritan woman? She, she said, where do we have to worship? He said, the day is coming 
No, he didn't. He said, the hour is coming and now is. When those who worship God, you worship him in spirit and truth. The hour is coming and now is. That's kind of weird. No, that's just what I've been talking about for the last five minutes. For those children going to grandma's house, the hour is coming, kids, Saturday. It's coming. But it now is. It's as good as done. And we can already begin to enjoy it. Jesus lived here. The hour is coming, but it now is. And when I sow the seed of the gospel in all its facets, sow it into my innermost spirit. So it's not that I'm, I'm saying, oh God, I, I, I want this. Oh God, help me to be this. Oh God, give it. No, just sow what it says. That the love of God is now poured into you and then like a great geyser rises within you. It says it's done. The Holy Spirit did that. So let me sow that and say, I'll take that. Thank you. It's part of the finished. And so I ask now. And one day it, it happens, you see. For the hour is coming, but it is now. When I sow, I see what the harvest is going to be. To the point where Jesus said, the fellow went to bed. I love that. Can, can, you, can you find a better parable to say that you go and you rest because there is nothing more that you can do. You selected the seed because you knew the harvest you wanted. If it was for your physical body, you didn't just, oh, God bless me. I don't know what that means. You've got to be specific. Blessings, uh, there's multitude. Now you take the seed. This is this is what this is part of the finished work, and, and I sow it, I receive it, I give thanks to God, and, and when it's done, I, I have that. See, we we spend so much time screaming at God for what He's already given, and then when He would give, we say only if it's Your will. And so we short circuit the whole jolly thing. No, we we take the seed. We plant it, then we rejoice in the harvest and we watch as it comes into being. We can even now have the emotions. Um, people are afraid of feeling, you know, at least here in the West. I mean, Western Hemisphere, I mean, as, as Brits are the worst. Uh, when, when God would show who he is in the first ages of mankind, he chose the Hebrew people. And I think there's many reasons maybe, but one is that the Hebrew people of that day knew how to weep. They weren't ashamed of it. Grown men, tough guys would weep, show their emotion. Um, they, their, their joy would be, I mean, hilarious, loud, hugging, dancing. You read the Psalms, the Psalms are, um, all the way from lamentation with all its tears. And he goes all the way to such riotous rejoicing and joy that if, if they had the upstairs um, apartment, you'd call the police for 
you know, they're making too much noise. It's the Psalms, feeling. And what I'm saying is, if, have you heard it? <laughs> it's finished. I ask for that which is mine, done, finished, because I'm inside of Jesus. And then I rest, and part of the rest is I am beside myself with joy. Can you, you, you see? You go to so many prayer meetings and there's more life in the bottom of a fishing boat with dead fish. I mean, people, joy, because what you've just asked for, he said, he gives to you and you have it and you can give thanks to God and you can live now in the joy and the relief and the wonder of it's done. And then you can watch as it comes. It's part of the rest. He rests. He rests. And the modern church says there's something missing there. Isn't it? Because you're supposed to keep on praying and keep on praying and keep on praying. Oh God, you didn't hear me. I know you didn't hear me. I've got to reply. I've got to say it again. Constant. Constant prayer. Oh, please do it. Oh God, please do it. He's a good boy. You really should do it. Oh, please God, do it. Do it. Give us the harvest or give us that revival. Please do it. Uh, I throw in some fasting, shall we? Fast, fast for a week or so. No. No, he went to bed. That's the most spiritual thing. He went to bed. And what do you think? He got up in the morning. And then what did he do? He went about his day, which did not apparently include going down to the field to make sure the seed was planted. We, we did that. You don't, you don't go and check on it. Don't dig it up to see if anything's happening. You go about your business, which means he's absent from the seed and he's abstracted by other stuff. Well, well, well. Why? Because it's God that takes over from there on. Philippians 2.12 explains it perfectly. He said, it is God, the Holy Spirit, who works in you. And that word is energia, which means the mighty energy of God is working in you, both to will, which means all of the um, desire, the movement of will in this originates in God within and to do, so the actual doing and bringing forth of that desire is God. We, we go to bed, goes about our work, go to the office, act like a normal human being, knowing and already rejoicing in he's heard me and the seed is taking over. For that seed, little tiny seed may be, but it is going to change the landscape. It is going to fill this field with a golden lake of wheat. And I don't do anything. Not a jolly thing. All I do is wait and watch, rejoice, and give thanks to God for his bringing about that which is finished. And then there is the harvest. And it's interesting to me, it says, you know, the, the, the seed 
and and his relationship with the soil uh, it it brings forth i have nothing to do with it it brings forth the harvest and you know have you ever heard of the james mitchell translation of the new testament uh, it's it's sort of the amplified bible on steroids and he puts it like this that the soil he's saying he went to bed but now the soil and he translates the greek word there um expanding it to its fullest he said while well, well, you go to bed and rest the soil is bringing forth the harvest and he calls it it brings it forth spontaneously now this is the meaning of the greek word he brings it forth spontaneously furiously he said the word has in it the, the meaning of it's as if the soul can't wait to do this. It's furiously, eagerly, with a purpose that is found within itself. That is, you don't have to do anything to the soil. In the soil, in relation to the seed, it, it, the purpose is there. You could put up a sign, you know, danger, soil at work. It's... Uh, and it happens automatically with self-excitement. That's the meaning of the word there. And, and it says that when it's done, the soil delivers up the harvest. That is as if the soil sits back and says to the farmer, what you put in the ground has now become multiplied. We did the job. Did you hear what I just said? That seed you put in the ground, where is it now? It's in the ear of wheat, corn, whatever. Um, and it's true of any plant. What, what you, the seed you put, one seed, but it's now multiplied into a whole bunch of seeds. It's grown and multiplied itself. So that promise of God you took as your own is now multiplied, fills your whole life um and although the sower is very happy about that obviously that he can put in his sickle do, do you know what that is it's i was raised with them before the days of the great combine harvesters all the men would go out with these terribly sharp knives on on the end of a stick and they just and that was the harvest and the sickle and he goes out and, and he's very happy. But of course, he's been happy the whole time. I mean, he knew this was going to happen. His joy was when he finally got the seed in the ground and he could see what was coming as the artist sees the painting, as the children are already there in grandma's house. Now we're there. Well, yes, and it's all very, 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 very wonderful. But we've been there for a while, uh, rejoicing in God. Um, and also, <coughs> I know I said this, but what you harvest is exactly what you sowed. It's, it's not that you get something that God thinks is good for you. That would be back there when you're sowing. When, uh, when he spoke to Paul, remember in 2 Corinthians 12, 
and, and says, you're, you're trying to do this, but, but I say my grace is sufficient, and introduces him to a harvest that was beyond his imagination. But not down here, that when, when the harvest comes, they say, well, I, I, so it's weird, isn't it? I didn't plant this. No, well, God said, that's, well, that's good for you. No, no, he's not like that. Don't be daft. You, you sow and you get what you sow. That's, that's, the way, that's the way it works. And by the way, God's harvest time is not ours. Please, we're using the term harvest, but it doesn't mean that's months away necessarily. The, the term harvest with God can mean, hmm, sometimes it's just a minute. Uh, it's 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 very very different to to our human. Remember to, to the disciples. He said, "Do not say there are four months and then comes the harvest." He said, "The harvest is ready now. It's right under harvest." Well, there's one in Micah, I believe, the prophet Micah. He said, "In this day that we're living in now," he said, "In in that day the sower will overtake the reaper." Now it is that the fellow who's taken in the harvest is caught up by the chap who's sowing because it is happening so fast. Or to Timothy, Paul said in a context of being a farmer, uh, Paul Paul says, uh, be instant in season and out of season. And, and so we, we don't have harvest seasons. No, no, you plant and there'll be a harvest and you can fasten your safety belt, you see, because you're, you're right inside how God works. Well, I'm, I'm done, and I see you're, you're actually expert at this because that's how anxiety comes to pass. Anxiety is the polar opposite of everything I've been saying. Only the point is you don't sell anything, not deliberately anyway. An anxious person that lives in poverty of mind and spirit and many times body, they, they didn't sow anything deliberately. What, what, what is, if you don't sow something deliberately, who sows it? The wind. If I don't touch my garden, leave it, I'll find a great harvest of thorns and thistles and weeds of every description. Uh, why? Because the wind is a great, it just blows all the stuff there and, and it takes root. And I sit there and say, oh God, please put flowers in my garden. No, um, no, anxiety is just letting every seed under God's sky come and plant in your head. And, and of course, sometimes we do it almost semi-intentionally. You know, uh, Fox News is great at giving you anxiety seeds. CNN is magnificent in, in planting the ugliest things in your garden. And some people have sat for the last two months, glued to them, getting seed after seed after seed, and then wonder why they live in panic. Well, of course, you, you, that's, the har that's the harvest. You planted the seed. What else did you expect? Well, you know, other people plant with, with crazy words like, I am no good, I'm not worth it. Um, and they, they give this continual litany of I am not, I am not, I am not which turns into I have not, I have not, which turns into they have and I don't. Do you realize they're all seeds you're planting? You should rejoice, there's going to be a harvest. It will prove to you that you are not and you have not and they, yeah, you get it. We're doing it all the time. So don't, don't blame God. We've planted our lives 
And if, if we know it is finished, it is done, and therefore I ask, and the fullness of the finished work of Christ is made manifest in my life and your life. And it's all grace. It's all the gift of God for he did it. He put you in Christ. He said to you, because Christ has purchased all you in him, ask. It's all gift. All gift. And then he gives you what he told you to ask for. This is the way it works, said Jesus. This is the M.O. of the reign of God inside of you. So let us do it. And the blessing of God, who is almighty love, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, open the eyes of our understanding that we may know who we are and may launch out to ask and receive our harvest. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. And I trust that that has helped you. Um, Christian life is very easy. My yoke is easy. My burden is light. Religion has made it so jolly difficult. But it's easy. As easy as planting the truth in our hearts and collecting the harvest of life. 